Well, hello there, boys and girls. Have you ever wondered what can organizations do to avoid losing people after investing in their training and development? And actually, how much money did they lose? Well, part of the answer is finding a better match between people and organizations based on culture fit. In this episode, I'm talking to Aoife O'Brien from Happiness at Work. Her mission is to help organizations to increase employee retention by using culture fit in their hiring decisions. She is passionate about how creating the right environment can help individuals to reach their full potential and support organizations to thrive. She helps HR and business leaders to make data-driven decisions with a specific focus on values, needs and strengths. We cover the importance of company culture in driving retention, direct costs of losing an employee, engagement at work and burnout, and is money a motivator or demotivator? Enjoy! We Got This showcases individuals and organizations that create people-focused workplace cultures to help it become the norm rather than the exception. It's something that will require a mindset shift and probably not something that any of us can do alone. But together... Together, we got this. Fantastic to have you on the show. I'd like to start off very to the point, I guess. How would you describe what you do? I suppose for me, it it boils down to creating happier workplaces. So I want to help organizations to create happier workplaces where people will want to stay longer. So helping organizations to use data to drive retention, essentially. But But let's not forget the individuals as well. So helping people to navigate their own careers, I think is really, really important to help them to understand themselves and to make better career decisions. And when you say you use data, what type of data is it? And kind of how can it inform the kind of decision-making process and and culture and and organizations? Great question. Like people data, I think it's still relatively new. I've been researching and looking into it for probably the last six or seven years at this stage. So for me, I kind of feel like not that I not that I know it all, but I feel like I'm like that people know all this stuff already, but they might not. So for me, there's a couple of different elements to it. There's the the HR data that people that we have already on people. So things looking at absences, looking at turnover, looking at tenure, look, you know, looking at the different levels, looking at gender within organizations as well. Uh, looking at salary data, looking at promotion data, looking at managers, who who is your manager and do some managers promote longer tenure, for example, than others? Or, or is there a, a red flag within some managers where if someone is managed by them, that they, then they leave the organization within a year, for example. The other side is bespoke tailored solutions using validated surveys around things like looking at intention to turnover and looking at engagement, but the levers behind that. So thinking about things like the values of the organization, the needs and the strengths. So whether people have the opportunity to really exercise their own values in that organization, whether or not their needs are being satisfied and whether they get to use their strengths. And there's there's other elements as well, but that, that would be a key area of interest of mine. Am I right in thinking that this is what you uh, wrote your master thesis on recently? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the research I did, and this this kind of stems from experiences that I've had at work, and this 
you know, these experiences that I've had at work led me on this path, I feel. So about 10 years ago, I had a specific experience. I was working in an organization. They made a lot of promises. They didn't deliver on those. When I speak to people, they're like, you were completely mismanaged. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of one to take responsibility for my own part in this. So I never saw it that that I never saw it that way that I was completely mismanaged. But but when I look back at it, I absolutely was. But this put me on this path and, and I kind of got to thinking, like, how much money did that organization lose by me leaving within less than a year and a half of, of working for them where they were paying, paying me a big salary? They obviously trained me and it took me time to get up to speed with their systems and how they do things. They sponsored me as well because I didn't have a visa to live in that country. And so there was all these factors that contributed to, you know, that's they invested a lot of money in me. And and in order for me to be a return on investment, if you like, I left in less than a year and a half because of what happened. And so that got me thinking, on the one hand, what can organizations do to avoid these types of situations in the future? And what can people as individuals do to navigate their careers better, to make better decisions for them, where they're going to feel somewhere where they feel really like they're valued, that they that they're working to their strengths, that they have opportunities within that organization to grow and to really hone, you know, to really hone their strengths and to really work to their full potential. And I suppose a similar thing happened to me a number of years later. It just reinforced that message of like, how, how, how does this keep happening? And how, how can we help people to find better matches between people and organizations? And, you know, if you, if you should take, if you to look at stats, for example, from Gallup, they say only 15% of people globally are engaged at work. Now that's to me is a shocking statistic. And you'll you'll kind of meet anecdotally people who are happy at work and you'll meet people who are kind of miserable at work, but you'll also meet people who don't expect to really be happy at work. And I suppose for me, that prompted me then to do this research. I think I've gone on a, on a bit of a tangent now, but it prompted me to do Go this on. research. Go on, it's a beautiful tangent. I'm not going to, I'm sitting quietly. I'm not going to interrupt you. I'm making notes of questions that I want to ask you based on that, but Great. do rant on. <laughs> um, so that led me to do this research. I, I spoke to one of the lecturers. I explained the experiences that I had had at work and she said, oh, that sounds like a fit issue. And I thought, fit, hmm, what's that? So I started researching that and, uh, any papers that I had where there was kind of a, a vague sense of a you could choose your own topic, then I I absolutely chose to do this concept of fit. So I started doing my literature review. I looked at all of the literature to do with fit. I started narrowing down some of the questions I had. And ultimately, I landed on looking at the relationship between person environment fit and someone someone's uh, intent to turn over and their job satisfaction but how that relationship works through this concept of self-determination um, theory, which is three of our basic universal psychological needs of autonomy, relatedness, and competence, and how that, how that sort of impacts on the relationship, if you like, between fit and job satisfaction and intent to turn over. Well, is, that, is, that, is that it? That's, that's I, I, the, what I, I did my research on. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, I, I didn't want to interrupt you. I thought you'd just go and, you know, catching your breath before giving us some uh, more fantastic arguments. There is genuinely a lot of stuff that I'd like to get in there. And 
one thing that you said at the very beginning was the cost of getting yeah. things wrong and, and losing people and not having the culture right. This is something that is so very difficult to measure in a way or represent or make companies realize because it's one of those things that's taken for granted where people leave, people come and go. Fine. True. Yeah. yeah. But trying to convince organizations and leaders within organizations of the importance of culture is very difficult, mostly mm. because, A, as I said, it's difficult to measure, and two, it's because whatever you invest now, it's not going to reap the rewards in the week, in the month, or next quarter. Mm. It's probably a matter of years before yeah. things get better. Yeah. And that's why we often kind of take and just go like, yeah, yeah, we'll do it next week, that type of attitude. Have you arrived at any type of figure, have you discovered any type of figure of what the costs usually are of getting culture wrong? I, I absolutely have, but I, I'd love to kind of build up towards that argument. So you were saying that, you know, it's kind of expected that people come into organizations and there's a level of turnover and what what does that actually look like? And I think there's a perception as well with the younger generations that they enter their workforce and they'll probably stay in an organization for two or three years and that's it. And there's, you know, that there's nothing that you can do about it. That's just how things are. I I would disagree with that. Now, I don't have anything to back up my disagreement, but I just, I, I think that they demand something more from work. And if they leave within two or three years, it's because they're not happy where they are and you need to do something about that. On the other hand, you, you were mentioning about, is there a way, and it is very difficult to measure the direct cost of losing an employee. There are ways to do that though. And if you think about what are the factors involved? So if you lose someone, there might be a gap in that team. So you lose some productivity. You need to potentially, you definitely need to invest time in trying to replace that person, but you might also need to hire an external recruiter to replace that person as well. Depending on how long it takes to hire the person, that gap could extend for longer. When you do hire a new person, it might take them a number of months or even a year to really get up to speed on what's going on in the business or really start to give back to that business after the initial training and finding their way with clients and, and with their teammates and things like that. So the the research kind of, it varies in terms of the, the amount that that would cost a business. But one of the solid numbers that I have seen is 200% of that person's salary. So if you imagine someone is earning 100,000 euros, so you've got a, an, an executive who's earning 100,000 euros a year, if they leave the business, that's costing that organization 200,000 euros. You know, it's it really is. And that's just one person. It's a, an incredible amount of money. But there are ways to calculate what that number is. And I think maybe that's where an organization should start by looking at, OK, so we lost that person. How quickly were we able to replace them? How much time and energy did we invest? Like kind of even just doing a rough calculation for one person within your organization to really get a grip on well, how much is this actually costing our business? I was just chatting to a client there this morning and she was saying that the team is growing and they're looking to double the number of staff that they have within the next few years. And I thought that's brilliant. And she was saying that they just hired eight new people. But then when she looked at the numbers, they actually lost six people in that same time. So obviously that's having a knock-on impact on their ability to be able to grow the team. And so what, what 
what started as a conversation about, well, how do we hire for this very specialist role? Because there's very few people out there who can do it, turned into more of a, I think we have a retention issue and we need to really address that. So sometimes when we think that there's a specific issue, it might turn out to be something else. But also you can use data to put real numbers on that. So as a HR person, if you need to take those numbers to the finance team, to the CEO, you can actually back it up with solid numbers and say, we need to really work on our retention here because when we lose someone, it's actually costing us, you know, it could be 50% of a person's salary or it could be 200% depending on the organization. The reason I asked that question of whether it can be quantified is because I often find that this is this is my attempt to to speak many organizations language and that's how often you can get people's attention to address a problem yeah. and by no means do I think that is what should be motivating us to, to change our, our motivation within organizations change, change organizations should be because we want to make things better we want yeah. to keep people within organizations we want them to develop because the organization's going to develop as a result and I, I often find that when there is a repetitive problem and a repetitive issue within an organization, whatever it might be, it might be to do with retention of people leaving in general or trust issues or, or projects completely continuously being delayed, so on and so forth, whatever it might be. If you can't put your finger on it, my opinion, nine times out of 10, it's the environment issue. It's the yeah. it's a, it's a culture issue, and what goes with that along is the fact of how do you get people within organisations and the the fit into the culture. You've mentioned the younger generation that comes into and is, the expectation is that they will stay two three years and they'll they'll bugger off go somewhere else. Yes, some will, but there are ways. And you know, there's, there's this millennial question that millennials are so difficult to please. Are they? <laughs> Maybe that's a probably a, a topic for for a completely separate podcast on its own but then it's, it it represents a fundamental difference of what people expect from uh, mm. jobs these days yeah gone are the days where people turned up to work just expecting a paycheck there's mm. a lot more that we want from our jobs this satisfaction it's being listened to it's being trusted to do their jobs and and be able to realize your potential and actually i, I don't remember where i read this but there, there's there's this argument that one of the main causes actually the main cause of burnout at work is not work being overloaded at work but the lack of opportunities for self-development and development in the role within the organization i found that very interesting that is very interesting yeah i mean my understanding and i've seen a couple of arguments for this and against this is that burnout is at the other end of the scale to engagement so if you're highly engaged in the work that you're doing if you get a sense of purpose sense of you know if you're really absorbed in that work if you if you feel a sense of vigor while you're doing that work if you get into that state of flow then you're less likely to burn out from doing that work but if you're not engaged and you just get loads and loads more work and you're getting a little bit overloaded then that's when you feel this sense of kind of burning out but like there's loads and loads of different elements there's loads of different research on this and i, I wouldn't say that I'm an expert, but that is what I understand it to be. And I, I, I'm always interested to hear more about it because I think especially now in the day of COVID where most people are working from home and it's really difficult to establish those boundaries between work and home life because you are working at home and you are living in your office and you're probably 
schooling children at home. I know in Ireland at the moment, a lot of my friends are trying to manage homeschooling on top of their workload as well, which is quite difficult. I've remembered when I got that, when I read that, and I'm actually surprised I couldn't, I, I didn't piece it together in the first place, because it's from a book that I mention so often to people that you'd think that I've actually either co-written it or I've got some <laughs> interest in promoting that book. It's called <laughs> An Everyone Culture, and it's a fantastic ah. book. I'll include the link in, in the notes. I'll send you the link as well after, uh, so you can have a look. And that's where I got that quote, uh, that, that's the kind of the that argument from and I'll have to go back and see what exactly kind of do. I don't remember I don't recall it the engagement being mentioned but yeah. it's probably somewhere deeper but it does make sense that it is the 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 opposite yeah okay we talked about you we talked about culture fit you mentioned it quite a lot that's a potential way that would help us address some of these problems let's start at the very beginning what yeah. does culture fit even mean oh that's a great question for me you know I get challenged on this sometimes where people say, oh, we don't say culture fit anymore. We don't say culture match or we call this culture match or we we don't say fit anymore. We say culture add. And to me, it's it's all the same, you know, and I don't mean to be flippant about that. I, I, I mean to say that finding the right person for the role, for the team, for the organization it, they could be an addition or they could be someone who just fits in to that scenario. So so for me. It's, it's finding that right person. Maybe there's a few different right people, but it's based on a number of different factors. And the crucial thing for me is the values piece. And when an organization has very clearly defined values and those values are lived within the organization and that's how decisions get made, to me, that's, that's what the culture is. And so when you hire someone, it's really important to make sure that their values align with those values of the organization. It's also important, in my view, to find people who don't just think like you, who who think a little bit differently and who can bring something additional to the table. So I always talk about values alignment and diversity of thought. I think those two things are, are really, really important for finding someone new and for finding someone that fits in your culture. I'm glad you mentioned that because the the counter argument that I often come across to culture fit is that it's a way of hiring somebody, someone we'd like to grab a drink with after work. Yeah. And or somebody who's got is very similar to ourselves in terms of kind of attitude and, and things like that, which can lead to lack of diversity, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And you but then if you if you scope that out, as you said, that there are different people can do the same job. They might not be exactly the same as us, but that's potential advantage of the situation yeah. because they will notice things that we don't notice because they will see things in a slightly different light and have different experiences providing we align on the most fundamental aspects of what we believe in exactly then at least we know that we will although we might disagree and fight at times at least we are fighting and arguing in the right direction if that exactly. makes sense if you yeah. because you're starting from the same from the same point yeah totally agree with what you're saying there and like yeah it's part of the research that I did so some of the other papers that I read one of them was one of the kind of fundamental papers let's say in the area and he did specifically talk about what you want to avoid is hiring the same people like that's the assumption is that you hire people like yourself because they you get on well with them and they fit in in your organization 
when I talk about fit, that's not that's not what I mean at all. And it is it is crucial in my view to find that diversity piece to find people who think a little bit differently than you do. In that paper, uh, the guy's name is Schneider. In that paper, he talks about companies becoming homogeneous. And that's how, you know, you you become stagnated. You can't actually compete with your competitors because everyone in the organization thinks the same way. There's no fresh thinking. There's 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 limited innovation within the organization as well. And I just thought that's it's it's so it's so crucial. It's so interesting, I think, to do that and exactly right about being able to welcome that that kind of diversity of thought and and welcoming new views and new ideas. But you also mentioned about conflict. Now, I'm again, it's not something I've researched a huge amount, but I do know for sure that there is a level of healthy conflict within an organization that will actually help the organization to grow and to become more innovative. If everyone just goes along and agrees with whatever one person brings to the table, I think it's not, that's not conducive to growth either. I think we we need to have that because as you say, if you've got everybody thinking the same thing, there's no freshness of ideas, no fresh fresh thoughts coming coming in, and that can be detrimental to any organisation. And I'm trying to think of uh, some other examples because we do have this idea that in terms of conflict, the conflict's bad. First of all, mm. it's not. It's constructive conflict is very very good. Passive aggressive conflict. Not exactly. But then we also have the culture of, of feedback, of being able to tell people certain things. Or the worst one of all, I think, is the the idea that we need, cons- what, or actually not that we need, what consensus means. Oh, in, interesting. In I'd love to hear more about that. Because I think consensus, a lot of people understand consensus as everybody agreeing, which is not true. You have to have uh, kind of majority or a certain group of people will have different opinions, different views. If you wait for everybody to agree with you, moving any task, any project, any product further down the line is just going to take forever. So you will have, you have to accept the fact that people will disagree with that. But I guess mm. if you're driven by the right values or by whatever yeah. values you've got, that will deliver something. And those people will either come on board sooner or later, or you'll just disagree. Yeah, that's abs- that's or they leave because to- their values don't align, and you should have hired someone who has values that are aligned to begin with. And I think it's really important, like you know, what you're saying is gathering consensus to let's say deliver a specific product. In my view, it's you know, and I've been in so many meetings where you're just you're talking about nothing really. People are bringing stuff and they're sharing it, but there's no decision making power within those meetings. And I think if you assign one person to be responsible for something and hold them accountable to that responsibility, then things will move a lot more quickly. So they're not looking to get approval from someone else. They're they're taking ultimate ultimate responsibility for getting that off you know, uh, out into the world, they might need input from other people and that's fine, but ultimately they are the ones that need to make that decision. And once the decision is made, they need to be held accountable to whatever outcomes they have associated with that. Very true. I don't want to go on a tangent about meetings because you did. (laughs) Anyone mentioning meetings, is there's always a risk that I'll go off on a a rant. This meeting could have been an email. (laughs) Precisely. One of my favourite ones is to remove 
all the chairs from the meeting room. That's one of the most efficient ways to make a meeting efficient as well. It doesn't exactly work on Zoom. That's the only problem. So that's only work works if you're back in the offices. But yeah. I think if everyone also... on Zoom could just remove your chairs, <laughs> this meeting would go a lot quicker. <laughs> it, it would. It's 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 funny, but yes, you're right. It could have been an email, and uh, yes, it, it, the the problem with the meetings is it's not meetings that are an issue. It's bad meetings. It's yeah. meetings without agenda. It's yeah. meetings without a person who can make decisions, as you mm-hmm. said, or without a end result of next yes. steps or whatever yeah, that yeah. might be. That's the problem. Mm. And I'm very much against these types of meetings, but it's just so prevalent in, organization, in many organizations that we actually don't realize how much of a problem it is. And yeah. I was talking to somebody the other day and they mentioned that they used to, they found it somewhere on, on the internet, a, a website where you just put in a kind of rough time of the meeting, how much salaries do people's salaries are and so on and so forth. And it gives you a figure of an, oh, an no. accounter how of how much every second, every minute of that meeting. Oh. And he would put it up on, on, this, on the screen in the meeting. It was a bit, it, it was so a bit out there. We've just spent 12,000 euros now. Oh, look, it's gone to 13,000 euros. 14,000? Yeah, I can imagine. Would you, actually talking about money, uh, because you mentioned that, completely going sideways from the meetings aspect, would you say that um, money is a motivator or demotivator? Oh, that's an interesting question. So a lot of the research I did was around needs, and I didn't specifically look at the need, pay as a need. From the research that I have done and from my own perceptions and my own knowledge, what I would say about money is pay people enough to take money off the table. So pay people enough so that they don't feel like they're being hard done by in some way, that it's fair relative to industry standards, relative to other people in the organization, and that someone feels like that they that they're valued within the organization as well. Having said that, some people are. So I I spoke about the the kind of three universal needs of autonomy, relatedness, and competence. Some people have unique needs, or sorry, everyone has unique needs, but some people will have a unique need for things like status and power and money. So people might be really, really driven by money. Personally, I am not driven by money. Pay me enough money that it's in line with with what I should expect in in the wider market if I were to go get a job elsewhere, but also in line with what's being paid internally in the organization so that I'm not getting paid grossly more than other people or I'm not getting grossly paid less than other people who are in that organization. And I mean at a similar kind of band or level um, within that. So that, that would be my view on money. In, in relation to meetings and if there are people listening I think it's it's up to each of us to take personal responsibility if you're invited to a meeting and you don't see an agenda in advance or you're not really sure why you're being invited to that like so many people complain that they're in back-to-back meetings all day but if you don't if you don't complain to the right people or if you don't raise that issue with the right people then you have no one to blame but yourself so don't don't look to to place the blame externally, try and do something about it. Try and raise the awareness. Don't wait for someone else. Don't wait for your leader, for your manager, for your supervisor to make those changes, take responsibility and start speaking up about those kind of things. Absolutely. Taking ownership of and, and, and dealing with the problem. Uh, couldn't agree more. In terms of the the, the money that you mentioned and, and the needs, I think that's a very much deeper 
analysis of uh, and, and a way of looking at the, the situation. And I really like that. The reason I've asked that question is because I do wonder that a lot of the time that what happens. And I think it can be a demotivator on, yeah. on a f- kind of far more o- o- overall basis because it can create situations where people want that and chase that chase that money they get it and then it's it's not enough it maybe doesn't meet meet their needs and so on and so forth yeah. and that they're always all- chasing more and more so you reach a certain level and then you're going for more and um, something else that you've you've triggered a memory for me now and there was a study done on this where they offered or they invited people to clean up a park let's say there was rubbish around a park and they invited people to clean up that park and there was one cohort of people that they didn't pay any money to that they did it for free and there was another cohort where they pay them a like kind of a nominal amount of five euros let's say I can't remember the exact figures but the ones from the ones who they didn't pay any money to got much more job satisfaction from it because the reward was carrying out the work and doing the work and the ones who got paid five euros were kind of like well that wasn't really worth five euros like I would I should have got paid much more for for that work that was involved so it brings it back to this idea of intrinsic motivation and what really drives us internally and it's this you know it, it it does form part of this uh, need. So the autonomy relation is competence, but then other things like having meaning or having a higher purpose or feeling like you're contributing to society in some way, you know, they're the things that really motivate us. And it goes back to pay people enough so that money comes off the table, that it's not up for negotiation, that they're happy enough with what they have, but where they feel motivated to do their job, it's not like you were saying at the start, it's not they're working for the paycheck. They're working to feel this sense of meaning, of higher purpose, of contribution. You know, those kind of things are what really drive people at work. Money is an element. It used to be a big part many decades ago. Now it's an element. And I'm of the belief that, especially if you adapt the attitude, as, as you mentioned, to pay enough so that money is not uh, something that is being discussed, then will pe- people be looking even more beyond that into the job, in terms of job satisfaction and development that they get within the role and how they agree with the mission of the, of the organization, the values mm-hmm. within the organization as well. And then when another job comes along or they're being headhunted, they'll probably have a far more difficult decision to make because they won't be motivated by money. And if somebody just offers them more, then they will kind of go, yes, but I might be getting more money in my bank account every month. But will I be getting all the other elements of the people who sit next to me and have my Mm. back when things are not going right? The atmosphere and will I believe in the mission of the the organization or have the right readers, leaders around me? Well, that's it. And I've made those decisions in my own career in the past where you go after the money instead of whether you really align with the values. And it's such... It's such an easy mistake to make, I think, in choosing salary because it's so tangible. The other stuff is so much as an individual making a career decision, it's so difficult to put a value on that. But I think once you've been in an environment where it's really toxic, when you've been in an environment where it's really positive and really brings out your best, I think it's a no contest. And if those if those two organizations pay the same, or even if the one with a positive environment paid less money, I think people will be more likely to stay. And, you know, the, there is research out there. And again, I can't recall exactly where I read this, but it said something like that 
80% of people would be willing to take a 10% pay cut to move to a different company that had, where they didn't have to deal with their manager anymore. You know, that's, I think that says a lot. That it does say that, that does say a lot. I think it's important to stress that money is important. I'm, I'm pretty certain you, you and we're on the same page here that we're not vilifying motivation going for money uh, because money is important to organizations to grow yes. and continue developing and so on. But it's also very important to individuals. We've got, we've yeah. all got families, people that depend on us and we want to live a certain quality of life. So of course, as I said, money is important, but it's by an element. Of, yeah. of the whole package yeah and that is something very very important to yeah to remember I think it's I suppose I've learned a lot more about money and money mindset in the last number of years since setting up my own business because I think it is it is a mindset and and whether you're born with it or whether you learn these specific behaviors around money I tend to be a very strongly a saver. I tend to save a lot of my money. And I have this kind of philosophy of save more than you need and spend less than you have. And that's my philosophy around money. Others might argue that I don't spend enough money, you know, that I, I should spend more money. And uh, this lady, Gretchen Rubin, she talks about happiness and habits. Uh, she's a, an author based in the States. She talks about spending out and she tends to have the same attitude toward, as I do towards money. And, you know, she's like, sometimes you just got to spend out. Sometimes you just got to spend that money. So different people, I think, have different attitudes towards money. And I totally agree that once you have that base level of this is the kind of lifestyle that I would like to have, then once you reach that, then I think money becomes less relevant. And and I suppose, and they don't they say it's something like, and there are studies to back this. Once you go above 70,000 euros per year, then the the beneficial or the benefits of additional money are diminishing. But I saw something that came out just a few weeks ago that said, <laughs> of course, you know, another study has come out to say that's not true, that actually the benefits are increasing. So I think it really depends on what your attitude is. If you have that need, then maybe that's something that, that needs to be satisfied in you, or it could be a need for status or power or recognition and how you see recognition and status and power is earning more money. I think it's definitely uh, the latter, as you said. It's so individual. To one person, 70 grand uh, might be more than enough. And beyond that, they don't think about it. For other people, might not, uh, it might not be enough because they don't get their needs met. Their lifestyle doesn't fit into that or the, the status and the power that comes with it. So I, I would more side on uh, with the with the argument of that it's dependable on on the individual of how 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 they utilize that money. I'm a minimalist by nature, and I'm very similar in in that respect. That I believe that I what I want to spend money on things that will give me joy. I'll spend money on, and yes, sometimes I will hesitate and kind of feel a little bit guilty yeah but that passes providing because i don't spend money uh willy willy nilly yeah on 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 frivolous things uh, but sometimes yes you want to do that but you've got the right you've earned it and there's no point in you know stashing it away for for another day rainy day absolutely but you know just use that enjoy it live your life but there's there's a there's a difference in in the mindset because that's kind of i assess my needs i know what i what i want to get out of it and and that's kind of how i uh, go about it we've talked about a few things and i'd like to bring us back a little bit to culture fit again yeah. or in general kind of company culture 
A question that I like to ask a lot, a lot of people that I talk to, simply because I find the definition of company culture being so individual to everybody. Hmm. And I'm starting trying to try to figure out why that is, but maybe that's for for another time. But I'd like to find out what is your definition, what is your understanding of company culture. To me, it kind of ties in with what I said earlier. It's it's how decisions are made and how behavior is in an organization. And I think it's that's what it to me that's what it boils down to. So on the one hand, if you say we value equality and we value fairness and things like that, but actually that's not being demonstrated, that's not how decisions are being made within the organization, then that's that's kind of a mismatch. That's to me that's a toxic culture because you're saying one thing, but you're actually demonstrating another. So for me the culture really is about the behaviors and decision making processes in a, in an organization. I'm more and more starting to see it as a mindset of the people within the organization rather than it just being a some sort of semi-tangible thing within an organization. That's why I like the expression of, I think it's Seth Godin, who said, people like us do things like this. And Love that, that yeah. covers a lot of values, behaviors, and a lot of things. And that's the, that's the thing that I'd like to probably explore a bit, a, bit, a bit more further down the line. Any particular resources, tools that you use places that you go for for knowledge that people could check out and find useful on this topic of culture fit company culture values everything we discussed today and more good question i'm trying to think like i i did a lot of research in my academic journals when i was doing my research i find them a bit academic-y if you know what i mean they're they're inaccessible to the masses and what i suppose what I would like to do is bring research-backed, data-backed information to directly into the hands of people who need it and who will use it and who will take action on the, on, you know, behind it. Because certainly when I was studying the, prior to studying, I loved reaching, reading the Harvard Business Review. I used to read it religiously. I absolutely loved it. And having done the, the uh, master's now, and call this a bit of snobbery on, on my part. But, you know, when I was doing the masters, that was perceived as being, it's not, re- it's opinion piece rather than necessarily research backed. So anything that is research backed, I think is really, really important. If people want to access stuff, I think just, just throw it into Google, throw it into TEDx. There's nothing wrong with Harvard Business Review. I think it's it's very accessible to people. I get a lot of my information from books as well. I, I read 58 books last year. I love to add resources through my blog, through my own podcast and through the books that I read. I do kind of summaries of the books on my website as well. Um, so if people want to, to connect that way or to find out more information, they're very welcome to do so. Um, my website is happieratwork.ie. So happier at work is all one word. And then .ie is the domain for Ireland. To put you on the spot, out of those 58 books that you read, first of all, congrats. That is an amazing amount of books in a year. <laughs> yeah. uh, what's your top three? If top three is difficult to pick, at least what's the, 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 the favorite one or the one that you quote and recall and go back to most? Do you know what? <laughs> because I read 58, I really am on the spot now. And I'm like, what did I actually read? Um, I'm trying to think of... Like I have a book here in front of me. I probably didn't read it last year. It might have been the year before called Crucial Conversations, which I think is really important. Being able to have those crucial conversations, you need to have those conversations 
all the time and not just in work. You, you know, you will have those conversations elsewhere as well. Let me think of another book. I read Squiggly Careers as well, which is interesting and more told, say, from the individual perspective that our perception is that that our career is going to go some sort of a straight line trajectory when actually it's it's all but. And, you know, I include myself in that description as well. You kind of think that you're just going to go on this line, but actually you get you get waylaid by other projects. You get waylaid by other uh, opportunities that you take on board. And, you know, you might have to start from the bottom then when you discover what you really, really want to do. So that, that I thought that was an interesting concept as well. Oh, another really great one was called, let me try and remember the name. It's by the Arbinger Institute. So they didn't even put an author on it. They just said that the, the and I'm about to start reading actually one of the, their follow-on book from that. I'm trying to, do you know, I'll, I can't remember the, the name of the book, but I will send it on to you after so you can put a link in the show notes. But basically it's, it's, and it's very related to culture and it's, it's, it shows it's a fable based book and it shows how the importance of company culture can drive retention. It can drive huge amount of growth in a business and create a really, really positive work culture as well uh, where people want to work there, but people take personal responsibility for themselves rather than assigning blame elsewhere. And they look to, to kind of understand each other and to work really, really well together that's great. I'll uh, gladly include in the notes and I'll also be pointing people and myself to your website to just look through your, your book list from last year. Have you got any exciting projects or anything you're looking forward to in the next few months? Do you know what? There's a few things. I'm always the kind of person I've got. I've always got loads on. I've always, I, I like to keep myself busy. So a few things coming up. I'm doing some talks on imposter syndrome, which is another area that I speak an awful lot about. Um, imposter syndrome is that feeling of kind of self-doubt but you're going to get found out by the talent police or whoever it is and somehow you don't deserve the achievements that you've got and uh, you, you put it down to luck or to chance you know they didn't have anyone else so I'm doing a few talks on that coming up what I would like to start doing which I haven't started yet but it, I have it in my in my notes to do this year is my own research so carrying out research on areas that are of specific interest to me and sharing the results, you know, just kind of doing it through LinkedIn and sharing the results and the findings that I get on the back of that. And then something else, and we sort of talked about this at the start, didn't go into a huge amount of detail, is this area of people analytics. So how can smaller businesses and medium-sized businesses better use data that either they already have or how can they use surveys more effectively to, to essentially to build a better culture and to drive retention in their organization. So they're the kind of the big things that I have coming up. And where can people connect with you, follow uh, what you're up to, and most of all, learn from you from what you do? Absolutely. So you can search for Happier at Work podcast, which is where I that's the podcast comes out weekly on a Friday and I have guests lined up now until May or June at this stage lots of interesting guests yourself included Lech so I'm looking forward to our conversation looking forward to it being on the other side of the mic um and yeah so people can find out more from the podcast happier at work podcast happier at work.ie my website absolutely totally open to connect on LinkedIn just 
just make a note of where you found out about me because I get an awful lot of requests and sometimes I'll have a nosy on the profile and think I don't know who this person is or why they want to connect with me sometimes I'll think oh yeah definitely can see the synergies here and I'll spell out my name because people will not know how to spell it it's Aoife O'Brien and it's spelled A-O-I-F-E O'Brien O apostrophe B-R-I-E-N and would love to connect. Aoife, it's been an absolute joy. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks so much, Lek. Absolutely, thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. It's me again. Just a few things before you take off. You can find the show notes for this and previous episodes on human.pm forward slash we got this. That's all one word. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you might be using. And if you like to get in touch with questions, guest suggestions or anything else, drop me an email on podcast at human.pm. Until next time.